Welcome to the Journal of Biophilic Design podcast. Well, we're really thrilled today to be joined by David Acoyman, who's director of NookPods here in the UK and Europe. NookPods are fantastic movable booths. Um, they give you a space to work, to decompress, to focus, to get creative, to take private calls and, and loads more. Um, we'll chat more about this, but uh, one thing that COVID and lockdown has done for us is has revealed how some of us on, you know, with various neurodiverse needs have enjoyed having some quiet time, um, you know, away from distractions in the office and all the cacophony and also the constant need to be on. Um, I did interview David before and I'll put a link in the blurb on our website, the journal of biophilicdesign.com, um, which I encourage you to go and have a look at and also subscribe to our newsletter. Um, that would be great if you can. Um, this is also on YouTube, by the way. Um, so anyways, I've put the uh, link to the podcast that we did before on there. And um, what I love about NookPods is the design. And um, we've teamed up with David and NookPods to bring you uh, little mini uh, sort of nature nooks and uh, tree houses uh, to work in, but uh, more about this shortly. So, um, but David, many thanks for joining us today. Thanks very much indeed, Ness. So yeah, hi, my name is David O'Coyman. I'm director, founder, director of uh, Nook. Um, as Ness says, uh, here in the UK, uh, across Europe and in North America now too. Um, I'm a product designer originally, as you can probably tell from the accent, I'm from Ireland, uh, from Dublin. Uh, I've lived in the UK for the last uh, 15, or oh, nearly 17 years. I split my time between uh, Amsterdam and Bristol. Bristol is where the, the company is based. And I said I'm a product designer, so I've spent my life, you know, designing, looking at the world through the eyes of, uh, you know, how can it be uh, improved and how can we plot a path to that improvement? And it was with those uh, eyes that uh, five years ago, um, I became, uh, well, so disillusioned to the point of needing to do something about it with uh, open office design. And that's why Nook came about and why I invented Nook. Cool, that's really great. Um, can, you, can you describe um, what they are, you know, these little quiet havens? Sure. Um, I mean, a nice, simple way to describe them is they very much on purpose look like a little house. Um, so imagine a five-sided box with a gabled roof um, and a little quiet uh, acoustic attenuated space inside that creates a sound pressure difference between the inside and the outside. So that when you sit in, there is this effect that it has on your ear and hence your brain, which causes you to, first of all, kind of go, wow, uh, how's that happening? I'm still obviously in the same space that I just was, but now everything feels quieter. But the really interesting thing that happens then is that you immediately see people just go, ah, and that calm comes across them and that allows them to focus. So it's like a little house shape. It's on wheels. It's got two nice wide benches either side of a table in between, which is appointed with the electrics that you need to charge your laptop your phone you can mount a screen inside if you need it's got lighting overhead that's adjustable with a remote control which is an aspect that we'll talk about a little bit about the effect that lighting has on the brain's ability to process information and how important it is that a person can tune that for themselves but without affecting other people because and this is kind of the crux of nook we're always feeling in the spotlight and the open office is the worst place. It's toxic for introverts, people on the spectrum, and everybody at times when you just, it becomes overwhelming and too much and distractions are so high and, 
uh, engagement is at an all-time low pre-COVID. It was measured. I don't know how this is measured, to be honest, but some Ernst & Young report measured it at something like between an average of 16 and 18% engagement in a space that's supposed to be designed for collaboration. But when you take away people's walls, what they do is they put their own walls on in the form of headphones and engagement drives down. So that's what I wanted to solve. Yeah, that's really true, actually, isn't it? Same, you know, people put the noise cancelling headphones on and, you know, and it's, you know, they, they become even more isolated, really. And, you know, the whole point of an open plan office is they supposed to be, you know, all oh, collaboration and openness and stuff. But as you say, you're in the spotlight all the time. You can't ever switch off. And, you know, um, exactly. Yeah. And there needs to be a realization too of what workplace is for, you know, and COVID has helped in that respect to a great extent. I don't think it's changed anything, but it's accelerated probably the trends that were happening anyway, probably compacted, I would say, about 20 years of trend into one year. Presenteeism down, remote working up, people appreciating that the point of coming together is to collaborate. But then why go there when you don't need collaboration that day or where your job doesn't require it programming or even all of us have deep work to do we spend anything depending on your job description you spend anything between 60 and 90 percent in focused on your own work and then the 40 to 10 percent if my maths is good is in collaboration well that's why you come together with people for and for those ad hoc moments of collaboration too god knows we you know we're craving the contact again and the society again the dutch have an expression it's called howd hunger and it literally translates a bit creepy as skin hunger <laughs> but it means the need to be with other people to be in contact one of our co-working partners where i am today they have a big campaign at the moment called give us a hug <laughs> and it's and it's extraordinary actually the reaction to that it it's a little bit startling we've had a year now on our own almost and a lot of people are reporting you know creeping back into the office and how disquieting it is to share a space with others again and we're looking for the corners and the alcoves and the spaces in which to sort of climb into in order to still be there we went there for a reason but to have a little bit of semi-privacy to ourselves to be a little bit protected like sitting in a cave watching over the serengeti <laughs> <laughs> Stretching because in biofully design we talk about uh, prospect and refuge, um, and having that whole you know having the refuge thing where you can escape into you can it's like it's, you're sort of it's like an overhang you kind of you can you're protected but also you know having this prospect so you can have a view out you have the view um, I think you know like like you're saying the sort of nook pods afford both of those and I also find them really interesting because with this whole um, you know this hybrid workforce that we're going to be seeing i mean it's just how it is anyway yeah. i think it's going to be people as you said people are used to working from home now they're more comfortable employers as well are more comfortable with that and realizing that people are actually getting on although i know there are some people tracking people and you know making them put their cameras yes. on all the time mm. and things which is we need to talk about that i mean as a society we need to talk about that <laughs> yes we do exactly yeah sort of the whole trust issues and, and things going on isn't there really so yeah i think that's something we need to talk about a little bit um i think employees have never been more empowered than they are now but we're still going to have a fight on our hands to hold on to the forbidden fruits mm. of remote working that we've enjoyed over the last year uh, extreme challenges that we've had but we've also enjoyed incredible flexibility we've under started to understand the role of workplace 
now I think the dichotomy, which was work from home versus work from office needs to be restated as work from office versus work from anywhere, mm -hmm. because home doesn't work for everybody. And that might preferably be a co-working uh, or somewhere in a hospitality location closer to home. So you don't have to do the transit all the way into you know, the, head, the headquarters. But we're going to have a fight on our hands, I think, to hold on to, uh, in many cases, the benefits that we've seen from COVID because a lot of organizations, not a lot, but some organizations are going to be along the lines of we're not Google, we're not uh, Twitter or Spotify. We want you back in here on Monday morning, right? And we want you back in nine to five. Okay, we'll have a flexible policy. You can do eight to four. <laughs> so, you know, we really need to, we're going to have to fight tooth and nail uh, to hold on to a lot of the, 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 the benefits of this last year. Mm, yeah, and I think I mean there's loads of studies that are being done about productivity and about how people are actually getting on with their job. And you know, I mean, there's the um, there was a thing at the workplace trends where they were talking about um, the four day week. The chap, I, I can't I can't remember his name. I'll have to I'll, I'll find it and put it on the thing. But um, the benefits of four day week, you know, that actually we get more done. The, the productivity that we have. Um, the guy's based in New Zealand, I think. So um, there's a lot to be said about. The flexibility aspect of um, allowing your employees to um, to not dictate, but to um, request, advise, advise maybe their employers how um, you know which environment's going to work best for them. Um, and obviously, I know when people are coming back, going back to work, they're the you know the sort of facility managers, the the, the designers, they're trying to create spaces that allow that um space and um you know collaboration or whatever they want to do but also to divvy up an office um you know to sort of so again you know i mean i i, I do actually really love these book pod things i really really do but i just i love the fact that you can wheel them around and you can turn them so that you can create you can put two together and you can um you can wheel them around and and and, and divide up the space i think um i think that's um that's, that's a really sort of real benefit. Um, well, that was it. It's indeed, it's one of the sort of core components of the idea is this hyper agility. You don't have to use it, but if you want to, the agility is baked in. And the interesting thing about agility and having a flexible workplace though, is that it's, it's great if you have the ingredients, but you also need to communicate how to use them or give people permission. You may have heard of permission signaling. And one of our customers in a co-working does it in a really nice way. And I tend to recommend it a lot. And so what they do is they have uh, acoustic paneling on the wall, which matches the form of the nook. And they treat it like a kind of a docking station. And there's a little sign that says, excuse me, there's a little sign that simply says, please put me back here at the end of the day. <laughs> and that tacit permission that's been provided by, it doesn't say take me and it doesn't say you may and you're but it infers that you can and should take this for yourself. If it was children, they'd do it without asking, but adults do not. Adults are worried about being judged, spotlight and judgment, right? <laughs> so you need to help people overcome that sense of being judged. Some people won't care, particularly extreme extroverts, and be just like, oh, look, it's on wheels, let's move it. But most people would be like, mm, no, no, you know, a lot of things on wheels don't necessarily say that I should move them. But then what we do, what, what happens then is we see people taking them and they wheel them over to the window to get a beautiful view, perhaps of, you know, some green outside mm -hmm. and, they'll, and they'll climb inside and have its back to the rest of the space. And they'll have created a little cave, 
a little alcove for themselves for a period of time. It only takes 15 minutes to do that, to, to, to recharge sufficiently. Mm -hmm. Um, but you see people, you know, starting to head in there. Once they have that first experience of it, they head in and they go, okay, I need to make sure I get that. How can I, how can I guarantee that I have some time in there today? Because it's like taking a nap, but being awake, you know, being aware, being mindful, being focused, being concentrated, it actually recharges you for the rest of the day. Mm, yeah. I mean, they call it the attention restoration theory, don't they? This art thing. So um, which is really important again sort of like views of nature and, and sort of by you know the whole biophilic element things you know but where you can rest your eyes you can't be on all the time you can't be on right. uh, like hours and hours and hours you need to have I mean there's a there's a particular um, length of time isn't there that we've got the, to focus and then our brain kind of wanders off it just it is how it is because of where and different people have different lengths of time too you know and different brains want to do different things. Somebody with ADHD will really struggle with attention generally, and their body will be fidgeting and moving around and find it difficult to concentrate on the conversation because energy needs to be dissipated somehow. But you can, um, and I've learned this by partnering, like the way we partner with yourselves. I love to partner with experts. Mm -hmm. Listening to you, by the way, talking, I want to be taking notes about prospecting and refuge and these various things that you're saying, because it's absolutely exactly the stuff that matters so much. But for example, take ADHD, um, you can do a couple of things to help. So fidgeting, you may have heard of, uh, there are fidgeting tools that you can give to people. Um, but that might be, so. that's a kind of a visible thing that you know, might draw attention to you. So one of the things we do is we bake fidget sticks into the underside of the table. So you can just be, you know, twiddling and fiddling and it can keep your hands active, which keeps your mind sort of focused. Or you can put um, gentle vibration into a seat and make that adjustable for a person's personal preference. And then that vibration in the seat somehow um, tells the brain that there's movement and then the brain um, doesn't need to fidget and twist and move around as much. Again, allowing the person uh, a little respite, the time to focus, con concentrate, maybe have a good conversation. That's fantastic. I do, I, you know, you have, you've really, these, these, these foods are really great. They're, you know, they're really um, enhance People's... There's a whole bunch of science baked in, packed yeah. inside that you know, that aren't particularly obvious at first. Just like, oh, a cute little house. But in actual fact, there's a whole bunch of thinking gone into it. Yeah, that's really cool. I mean, maybe we could we could talk a couple of things. One, one about which is what you touched on the views and also on the acoustic side of things. Um, obviously, one of the things that we we've we're sort of partnering with you, obviously people who are listening to the Journal of Biophilic Design podcast, um, if you go to the Journal of Biophilic Design.com, there's a whole bunch of images. Um, I'm actually a professional photographer, a video maker and all this sort of stuff. And I run a media company alongside everything else that I do. Um, <laughs> um, but um, I, I kind of, there, there are images on there that people can just go on and just drag and drop and put it on their screensavers. They can print them out to A4 and put them on their desk. So they've got this, this view thing. Um, but um, obviously we've partnered with you, which I think absolutely when, when you, you know, sort of mentioned about it, but to put views in the back of these nook pods. Um, I've recently done one in, in Edinburgh. Um, I mean, maybe you could explain a little bit about how you see them sort of working and benefiting uh, the, the, the users of yep. the nook pods. Yeah, so I think they fit together so well. It's something I've been wanting to do for a very long time. So I feel very fortunate and grateful for the partnership and especially not just that it's images, but the way we work together to choose and tune the images to match the space. 
So for example, if we're deploying a pod, which we know is going to be intended towards collaboration, then together we choose an image, which is like of bluebells in a glen, which gives people a sense that they're, you know, in this little conspiratorial little clearing in a forest. And it does genuinely have that effect because it's quite immersive mm. when you're sat in this space with one side open and then you've got a beautiful biophilic image to the side. It does genuinely, and this is scientifically proven too, isn't it? You can tell, uh, you can tell people better than I can that it does have an effect on the brain. And also in a small space, some people could find that a little claustrophobic. So it's wonderful then to be able to provide a view which is far away and of water, which creates freshness and coolness and with a focus on blues, blue colors, which makes the person feel more cool. And conversationally, we can do the opposite also with warm colors or we can use lilacs for calming and cooling. And then we can do it in combination with the lighting, which is in place in the nook already. So we can sync between the two program, pre-program in such a way, or the user can adjust it brighter, darker, and anywhere across the spectrum, which can indeed have an effect on the total environment, but also have an effect on their brain's ability to process information. For example, again, just to use the sort of superpowers of neurodiversity, which is a cornerstone of in my design thinking, design for the extreme benefits the mean, is that uh, for people, and it, this is very individual, um, for someone with dyslexia, for example, if you can properly immerse the space in light, first of all, that's important. It's no good just to have a little bulb that you know flickers a color in the corner. It has to change the hue in the, in, in the space. But if you can change the color spectrum to somewhere between green and purple, and it's very personal, that can have a profound effect on someone's dyslexia and it can prevent, for example, uh, an event occurring, a sort of a meltdown is too strong a word, but some sort of moment that leaves you uh, incapable. Um, and so it can A, prevent that from happening uh, or B, it can help you to recover uh, from uh, it happening. If it's happened elsewhere, you can jump in, sort of, you know, set yourself, tune the light to your particular requirements recenter yourself and then you can be ready to go back again whereas in another circumstances you might have had to go home because there's just no there's no sanctuary space there's nowhere else where you can regulate yourself in a workplace environment millions of us work in these environments and the only places you can find these kinds of features right now are in sensory rooms in schools or airports for example i want to bring that into the workplace and make it common and to for it to benefit everybody that's fantastic. Uh, it's really good. As you say, there's a lot of us who are on, I mean, we're, I think, I think we all are on, on some kind of um, thing and, and it depends what we're doing and, and different types of work we're doing. And, you know, you, and, and also the environment and the people around you and your clients and the people you're talking to on the phone. And, and what happened this morning and last night and what's happening in your personal life and what task it is. Like, for example, mm. I am a different person when I'm doing creative tasks mm -hmm. and I need different things compared to when I'm doing administrative tasks. I have personally real challenges around administrative tasks and deep focus. I bounce across the top of things. I am <clears throat> a, a jack of all trades, master of none, no deep <laughs> capabilities. But it means then that I have, you know, extreme challenges when it comes to focus work. And so I need an environment 
in a certain way and distractions are a real problem for me and noise which is known to be one of the biggest problems in the workspace environment especially when there are no zoning um you know it really just completely throws me out and i can i can be writing an email just a simple email but be so into it that a destruct the disturbance comes along i might not get back to that email for hours or days because of how thrown out i was and how difficult it was to get to that point and how what an anxiety that will create and i'm not unique in that regard a lot of people struggle with different things now that's my particular struggle but a lot of people struggle with distraction really setting them back and depending on the task you're working on that setback can be minutes it can be hours and it could be longer for different people and that's what we need to appreciate in a workspace environment if you want people to be productive and work their best you can't be expected to do all things for all people at all times but options the simple ability for somebody to go into a space and look around and go, I want to sit with my back to a wall today, <laughs> right? That didn't cost anything. No one had to invest in anything to make that possible other than thinking <laughs> and appreciating different brains. I think if we bake that into our thinking in workspace, we'll create environments with options that people can choose what they need for that moment that they need it. Yeah, I think as well, because we've been working from home, a lot of us can create spaces, even if they're on the kitchen table or whatever, but, you know, you can create the space around you to be the, I mean, if we've been, been doing it for a year now and you think, well, actually, how can I make this space better? And you personalize it. There's such a, a lot to be said about personalizing. Even if you have a desk in the office, you know, generally you have like, you get your little knickknack bits and stuff. Yeah. If they'll let you have them on your desk. <laughs> right. There's that aspect as well, but you know, a lot of companies, are, you know, but I think personalization of space is a really, really important um, aspect of any kind of workplace design, any home design, um, to be fair. And uh, you can do a lot to personalize without making it like, oh, we, can, we can't let everybody personalize their space in a flex office or a co-working. Well, adjusting your desk to the height that suits you is personalizing. Changing the lighting in your environment is personalizing. And that might be a light overhead, it might be a desk fan, but it could also be making sure that there's blinds on windows so that I can, you know, turn down the intensity on the space. It can be really simple things like, you know, having things available that you can bring to your desk uh, and just per temporarily personalize, even if it's an acoustic screen to be able to put behind your laptop or between you and somebody else to create those soft divisions between people because ownership can be temporary for it and it can still be powerful there's a great um, research that was done in the 70s it was in cubicles but it still stands true today and the research was it was four different phases of this research the first one was just a grounding so in a sort of an acuity test here's your cubicle here's a test do the test we get some results okay we've got a base then they put biophilia elements they put uh, biophilic elements like plants around and people's test scores went up it's extraordinary and then but the next level of the test they gave people the plants and said you decorate the space yeah. so now it's biophilic but personalized and it went up again yeah. but in the last one they gave them the plants let them decorate the space and then they took the plants away just before they did the test and the <laughs> results went below the base so it's about you know personalizing and biophilic but also really genuinely letting people 
affect their environment and not telling them and not undermining them and not, you know, ruining the goodwill that you've just created by giving them that permission, but then saying, not like that. <laughs> uh, I mean, we can talk a little bit about um, acoustics uh, now. Um, I know that's a really sort of um, big thing with you. Um, and obviously the nook pods obviously are all acoustic um, thing. And then when you get inside them, as you said earlier, you sort of go, Ooh, yeah. <laughs> how does that work? It's really, you know, um, I mean, maybe you can explain, you know, what the challenges are with bad acoustics and then, you know, how, how improved acoustics can make a difference. Absolutely. I mean, you know, most of our spaces when they, you know, pre-occupation, uh, before we move into them, are just hard shells. They're echo chambers. You go into an empty office before you start putting stuff inside <clears throat> and your voice just comes back at you, at you, at you, at you, right? <laughs> and then... The challenge then is to, in an affordable way, and I'm always thinking about the middle of the market, you know, the, the S and the M in SME, right? Not the big corporates, because I think if we design solutions for the middle of the market, where the majority of people actually work, where there is no global employee engagement director or chief of well-being <laughs> or head of remote working, there's just the person who owns the company and maybe an office manager, right? So if you can make solutions that work for people, you know, in regular circumstances like that, then I think then there's a real chance that we can have a big effect on a lot of people in our, on our day-to-day -day lives. But the open office environment is an echo chamber, basically. And there's very little attention ever. So I, for the longest time, have felt that our soundscape in life is a disaster and doesn't get the attention that it deserves because of the profound effect that sound has on our brains. And so some people thrive in noisy, crazy, cacophonous environments, but the majority of us don't particularly, and it's very tiring and we feel you know, pretty, um, pretty exhausted by the latter part of the day. And, <clears throat> and as I said, it does actually have a, a, a very negative effect on uh, ability to process information. That's not just disturbances now, but that's just the sort of, you know, the soundscape. So being able to affect an environment. So obviously we've created a, an escape space and I'll talk about the acoustics of that in a second, but just broadly speaking, it doesn't take an awful lot to make a space more acoustically soft, more acoustically appropriate. Curtains do an amazing job at so they don't have to be acoustic curtains. They can, those are brilliant and better, but they're expensive, but just genuine soft materials um, off cuts of soundproof materials, paneling on walls, hanging panels on the ceilings, carpet in areas, soft furnishings, all those things do have a, an extraordinary effect on the soundscape in a space and make it feel gentler mm. and softer and soak up the noise of Dave from sales, who, <laughs> you know, who, who speaks on his phone like this, you know, oh yeah, mate. <laughs> <laughs> you know that kind of you know we all have to work and live together in those environments so we need to we need to create zones we need to soften the spaces and the whole idea with nook is okay if you find that a bit daunting and you're not quite sure what to do you can just put these things in here they roll in really easily or we can build them on site they're very retrofitable they're very affordable and they can act acoustically in a couple of ways one is the obvious inside itself for the occupant the other is when you step inside what happens is, say I'm projecting my voice, right? Because I'm in a big open room right now. But when I get inside a nook, my voice does this. And it does this because 
they don't need to project anymore. And that effect then means there's a reduction in overall um, competing volume in the space, competing voices, because we're, we're trying to be heard over other people. So it creates a kind of a spiral of noise. So it reduces that. But it also, if you, for example, put a few of them in together, it creates a wall, an acoustic wall between areas. So you can say noisy team over here, quiet area over here, nooks in between. So it's a really easy way to kind of zone up the area. And you can do a lot with one of the reasons that Nook works so well is that the acoustics go overhead and behind you. So someone else's voice coming at you, the high frequency stuff is getting absorbed. So you're hearing the softer stuff, which is nicer on your brain. There's a reason why a child's cry compared to, I don't know, uh, a hum, a gentle hum, right? There's a difference in how they affect our brain. So the Nook, basically what it does is it turns everything into a much softer, more hum-like, more low frequency, comfortable sort of sound. So that has an effect then too on our ability to process that information and how we feel in that space. That's really nice. I remember working in, a, in an agency and um, that was a design agency. It was like a 360. They used to do stuff for the BBC and ITV. And so it was a great, absolutely great team. Really loved working for them. But I was I was the writer. I was the copywriter. Mm. I was like, you know, and stuff. And, and I was doing like legal documents and all this kind of stuff. And they were all designers. So the music was blaring. There was yeah. chanting. There was stuff. I mean, it was quite, quite. But I was like, I need to go. So I ended up putting my earphones in and putting Beethoven on really loud. <laughs> Which kind of was counterintuitive but uh, it sort of blasted out the other things and it just meant asking. So. Yeah. so one of the things that that reminds me of is recently i learned the difference between hypersensitive people and you may be familiar with what you know hypersensitivity is uh, people who can be easily overstimulated in an environment whether through light or uh, noise or activity mm. and hypo sensitive people and hypo sensitive people that i put myself in this category we get our energy from extremes. So I need extreme color, I need activity to get my energy. And then what often happens to me is I crash. <laughs> and then I go into a kind of, I'm like an ambivert that goes into a sort of hypersensitive mode for a while to recharge. But I need lots of change, lots of activity and things going on. And that's very common with a creative mind, a mind that works in concept as opposed to one that works in data and planning. I'm a terrible planner. So I thrive in an, in an environment like that. And I love that, you know, for when being creative. But then when I need to concentrate on something, I need the opposite of that. So that's the difference between the hypersensitive and the hypo-sensitive in people. Yeah, that's really interesting. I'm exactly the same. I need the really? stimulus, I need the colors, music, I turn it up really loud, all that kind of thing, you know, have pop on or, or jazz or whatever it is. Yeah. Um, you know, or if I'm out, I love going to coffee shops where there's loads of buzz and noise. But then when I need to concentrate, you know, when I'm thinking and yeah. writing and sort of strategic stuff and like blue sky, blue sky thinking, whatever you call it. Um, yeah. but, but when I actually need to deliver, I do need, I need quiet. I need quiet. I need my space. I need everything just as it is. And yeah just um yeah totally extreme to be honest yeah and those differences come to bear also in how we uh, release mm. so often um workplace designers or office managers they think oh wouldn't it be lovely to get like a pool table or a table tennis table that everyone can let off steam at the end of the day not everybody wants to let off steam that way a lot of people would find that incredibly socially anxious 
to do so and quite disturbing. So what you get then is a difference between those uh, who let off steam that way. That's a great resource, but please make sure that it's not disturbing everybody else and that it's not that, you know, everyone has to participate. And there should also be an area where some people let off steam and want to relax at the end of the day before they go home by closing the door, turning down the lights and putting on some Beethoven or putting on some underwater whale sounds or whatever, you know, might work in that sauna spa-esque kind of environment. Those are two different types of people or those are two different types of things that the same person might need depending on the mood that they're in or the, you know, the way they find themselves at the end of a particularly stressful day or a day without people or a day with people right so just bearing those different things in mind and not forcing one thing on everybody will have a, a big impact on people's enjoyment in the space that's great um well before i get to the final question which is my magic question i ask everybody <laughs> is, is there anything else that you'd you'd like to add about um maybe the workplace or about acoustics or anything Sure. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I think uh, coming back to that point about you know, the opportunity that we have now and how we're going to have to fight for it. One of the areas now that I'm really focused on, and this Nook has really given me the opportunity to, to dive into a lot more, and you can hear a little bit about it in some of the answers that I've given, is this whole notion of designing for extremes mm -hmm. with the benefit for the mean. I might genuinely believe now, the more that I get into this, the more I understand it, the more that my instinct is being... Um, concretized through science and research and understanding and experience is that we actually can't design um, the world that we need as humans without not just catering for those extreme needs, but actually using them as part of the process. Uh, in, in the community, the neurodivergent community is an expression, uh, nothing about us without us, which I think is absolutely beautiful. Um, you know, we're speaking here now and communicating on a device which was essentially invented by somebody with Asperger's, Alan Turing, the father of modern computing. Da Vinci had dyslexia, Nobel Prize winners, you'll find, you know, all sitting on different corners of the spectrum. You know, with genius often comes you know, challenges in, in different ways. But there are opportunities right now to really consider permanent temporary and situational challenges as fundamental foundations of great design and of moving the needle on the solutions to the challenges that we face in the world. I really feel like there's a whole new field of design opening up, which is for and with extreme requirements, which will generate a better world for everybody. And that's kind of the principle that I'm moving along. That's great. Um, well, I suppose on, on that note, um, my, my final question, so the people that are listening to the Journal of Biophilicdesign.com podcast, um, yeah, if you could brush the world with like this sort of magic brush of biophilia, uh, what, would, what would it look like? Well, actually, I think it would look like the way the world is moving a little bit. It would look more rural. Mm. I mean, you know, it would look like what happens when you keep walk when you start from the center of a city and walk towards the coast eventually the gray turns to green mm -hmm. and and i would love and, I, and you're starting to see it a little bit more we're doing a little project at the moment around parklets i don't know if you're familiar with them but they're basically it's like a car parking space size park 
I mean, literally no bigger than that. It's coined in San Francisco. I just want to green the gray because it's a fundamental thing that our brain connects to, to make us healthier, um, happier, interact with others in a, in a better way. It's more purposeful. And I realize that that's a challenge. It's a luxury. But as we become more, is affluent the right word? As we evolve as a species, as COVID accelerates our, our priorities, I was listening to a podcast yesterday, a webinar yesterday, and someone said about their business, oh, no one's ever more than 20 minutes from one of our locations. I'm like, fantastic, great. How wonderful is that? I would like it if no one was ever more than a couple of minutes from a park. <laughs> That's the aspiration I think we should be, we should be heading towards. It's one green at every opportunity, whether it's outside our windows or in between, you know, in the middle of our buildings or right outside our door. That's the world that I would like to like to spend more time in, integrating nature into our design principles. Thank you for listening to the Journal of Biophilic Design podcast.